Dr. Langbrook's joyous, brave book, Ciao Bella, about taking her family of six to Italy for a year, offers the perfect start to 2022. Well, that's what I thought, because it's an optimistic, can-do tale of overcoming challenge, including ending up homeschooling in a Bologna lockdown. Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and in Binge Reading today we've got something a little different, our first non-fiction book by popular demand. Kate and her husband Pete were looking for a, quotes, circuit breaker in family life after years of facing some unusually tough challenges. Their story of a colourful, food-filled stay in Italy is more than a travel memoir. It offers an incorrigible message of hope. And we've got one paperback copy of Ciao Bella to give away to one lucky reader. Enter the draw on our Joys of Binge Reading website or on our Facebook page for Binge Reading. Offer closes February 10, so be in right now. And don't forget... You can become a supporter of the show on Binge Reading on Patreon for as little as a cup of coffee a month. You'll get exclusive bonus content like hearing Kate's answers to the five quick fire questions. And your contributions can help ensure the show continues by paying for hosting, sound editing and transcription costs, while my time and putting it all together is still completely free. If you'd like to support the show on Binge Reading on Patreon, check us out at patreon.com forward slash the joys of binge reading but now here's kate hello there kate and welcome to the show it's great to have you with us thanks jenny i'm very happy to be here i'm very happy to be on this side of promoting a book rather than writing a book (laughs) yeah that's right now this is unusual for our show because you are the first person who's been on with a non-fiction book we've we've always Ah. done popular fiction up till now but when I saw Ciao Bella which is your story of a personal memoir about taking your family to Italy for a year I thought this is just the sort of, I mean, just the look of it. You even, you communicated adventurousness out there. And I thought, this is what we need for the new year. Someone who can inspire us to get out there and do new things after this rotten year we've all had in 2021. So, and I did um, poll my my listeners on it and it was 100% they wanted to hear about it. So that was really lovely. Oh, what if it, what if it was only 99% Jenny? What would you have done? I still would have done it because I wanted to do it. <laughs> So before we even get into the book, because quite a few of our listeners won't be aware of your work in Australia, you're a a national Mm -hmm. star in your own land in Melbourne, but for those who aren't quite so familiar about your background and where you were actually placed when you started thinking about doing this adventure, tell us a bit about that. So I've worked broadly in showbiz for over 20 years and a little bit of television, a little bit of writing, you know, columns for newspapers and kind of panel shows or improv shows and comedically based kind of stuff mainly. And But the main bulk of my work has been on the radio. So I've, I did 12 years of 
radio, Melbourne Breakfast Radio on Nova here in Melbourne, and then had a year off, regrouped with my on-air partner, Husey, and then we went to do Drive, which is in the afternoon, four till six. And so I was doing that show, which is a national show, so it's right around Australia. It was a great show and I very much enjoyed it and was able to, when I went to Italy and decided I was going to Italy, of course, one of my first conversations with with Husey, who I've been on air with for 18 years, to say, I'm going to do this thing. He was my first person I had to talk to, you know. (laughs) Yeah, and he wasn't happy, Jenny. He was like, because he's also a workaholic, he's like, what? Why would you, what? (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, I wanted to stop working. But his idea then was, and my boss's, was that I I do the show from Italy for the first six months we were there, which was unheard of in 2019. We didn't even have Zoom then, you know. So, and that's what I ended up doing. And it ended up being actually brilliant because it turned out that, I mean, it was, I was so focused on what I was trying to do with my family, four children and my husband, six of us that I didn't really think about how it, the impact it would have on the broader world and people we knew and listeners to my show and people who had followed my career was that it would also be of interest to them. It had not occurred to me. I hadn't had time to think about that really. And because when I decided to stop working, I was like, well, that's, I'm happy to turn my back on that. I have to be prepared to walk away. I said to Husey, I'm not going to prison. I'm not asking you to wait for me. Yeah. And and yet it ended up being yet another um, kind of avenue of communicating with our listeners and the adventure I got to share with them. And that was really the spring the springboard for Charbella Six Take Italy. The book was realizing when I was telling Husey and our listeners what what was happening with me every day, how interesting that was on a broader scale beyond me. Yes, that was interesting because as somebody who's been a journalist pretty well all my life, I was really impressed by the detail that you got. And I mean, some of those meals, it was wonderful the meals you described, but you had to have been making notes in the restaurant at the time that you were eating the food, I thought. And and I wondered if you'd known you were going to be doing a book right from the beginning, because it came across as if you'd been very conscientious about taking notes. Well, My husband asked me about that the other day. I explained to him that it was actually the other way around, is that the stories that I wrote in my book, I wrote because I had such vivid recall of them because they were so significant. Yeah. So it was more that I felt so connected to those stories and even though I wasn't um, going to do a book and I'd been approached about writing books in the past, you know, if you're in the public eye, you get approached about writing books and I'd never really thought that I had a book in me but it wasn't really until near the end of our first year that I said to Peter I want to keep a record of this for our family if nothing else because I don't I don't keep a diary no one keeps a travel journal in our house you know Mm. and but then the other asset for that was all the photos that we take on our phones now when I would go back to a particular day, there it all was, and it comes whooshing back at you, you know, a thousand words and all that. So it wasn't my intent to write a book, but when I was living what we were living, I went, this is actually really significant. I Like I could feel it even when we're in the moment, 
which often you don't recognise that you've lived through an amazing era until retrospect, you know. Yes, yes. But I could tell at the time. Yes. Now, this family you were taking away, there's quite an age range, and particularly for the teenagers, I can imagine that they might not have been that madly keen on the idea because (laughs) they're embedded in their own little peer groups at school, etc. So how did you break the news? Well, you're right. By the time we left on our Italian adventure, my youngest was nine and my eldest was 15. So three boys and a girl. My daughter was 13, I think. Yeah, about to turn 14. Anyway, we had we had flagged it with the children for two years that we wanted to do it. So we didn't blindside anybody okay. with yep. it. Yep. But still, Peter, my husband and I did so much back and forthing about it, at, like probably for six or eight months. We talked about it in bed every night. Will we, won't we? What if we, what would happen? Where would we? Like just those conversations, just trying to get our own heads around it. Yeah. But we had said to the children, this is our intention and this is what we're going to do. And by the time we actually left for our trip, you're right, the window was closing to how malleable uh, 15-year-old is, particularly when it comes to the concept of leaving his life that he's just sort of establishing, you know, firm friendship groups and whatever. But it was really more that he had a secret girlfriend (laughs) that ruined our life. (laughs) We didn't know, you know, and I write about it in the book. I found a photo when I was in his room that he was sharing with Sunday because when we arrived, our apartment only had three bedrooms for six of us. And I found a photo of this, and she's a lovely girl. I did eventually meet her. But I was like, what? No wonder he's like this really stubborn dog that I'm trying to drag for a walk. (laughs) Yes. Now, you didn't choose an obvious draw card place to, to stay, none of the ones that first come to mind. You decided to go to Bologna. Now, tell us, that became a perfect fit as the book progresses, but tell us how you settled on that. We had, we knew we wanted to be in the north of the country. Bear in mind, Jenny, we'd only been in Italy twice before and on holidays. And the first time we went was in 2015. Maybe it was 2014, but it wasn't a lifetime love affair with Italy. We didn't know the country really well. We didn't speak the language. We didn't know anybody. (laughs) We just loved what we'd seen on those holidays. And who doesn't love what they see on holidays? Mm. So in um, 2018, we went to have a recce and we decided we knew we wanted to live in the north of the country. You know, down south is Sicily or Calabria or whatever. It's a bit more gnarly. So Mm. we wanted to be up north. We knew we needed an international school for the kids. Yeah. And so we were kind of led by that. So we did go to Florence, but too touristy. Mm -hmm. Not at the moment. Obviously, now's the perfect time to go to Florence, by the way. (laughs) But it was just too – I said to Peter, they're sick of us and we haven't even arrived, you know, because they just had this onslaught of – visitors. So we crossed Florence off the list. Then we went to Verona, which a BuzzFeed quiz had told us was our perfect Italian city. And BuzzFeed was wrong because they were at the international school. They were so breathtakingly rude. Oh, like astoundingly rude, very un-Italian to us. But every, every, This is a really peculiar Italian or thing peculiar to Italy compared to Australia, that every town 
even though they're half an hour away from each other, has a really distinctive personality Mm. and food and characteristics. So quite feasible that Verona that was 40 minutes away, they just had a totally different mindset. That left us with Bologna and a girlfriend had told us about Bologna. She went there to learn how to make bolognese and to do a cooking class and we went there, just Peter and I, we left the kids at at the villa we were renting with Peter's mum and we drove in and within 40 minutes we went, this is it. Mm. Just a big, like not a a small city but bigger than a town but still operates like a village and so, and off the tourist trail, so hardly anyone spoke English, which should not have been the draw card it was for us given that we didn't speak Italian. <laughs> but it felt so, it was a ridiculous thing, but everyone who came to visit us would say it's so Italian. Yeah. It was just that, which seems ludicrous because it's in Italy and it was Italian, but, you know, the beautiful terracotta buildings and the and Bologna's famous for its portici, which are the porticos, the arched walkways, so you could walk from one end of the city to the other without the heat or without rain. And they go all the way up the hill, 666 of them, which is a bizarre number given they lead to the church at the top of the hill. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's a stunningly beautiful, elegant kind of peaceful city. And we just we found an apartment right in the middle. So it's only got, I think, maybe 400,000 living inside Bologna in the old medieval part of it. And then on the outskirts is probably a million in total. Now, I think the thing that really drew me to the book once I started getting into it was, number one, the wonderful way in which you described the food and the wine, which is so inherently part of being in Italy. But the oh. other is the relationships, the very genuine and real relationships that you made with both other internationals and the local people. Those are the two things that stand out for a reader. Now that you've been home a wee while, what are your takeaways from the whole thing? Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because people, I think, are everything. People are probably more than place important. Yes. Just the way that I think back to, like, one of my favourite jobs ever was the first job that I had which was working in the deli at Coles. Do you have Coles in New Zealand? We you know, don't, but I'm very market. familiar with them, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, why would that be a great job? It was because of the people I worked with, right? I worked with this great bunch of girls. And so it is, I think, when you're anywhere, aside from the fact that Italy is a breathtakingly beautiful country where they really have elevated beauty to a higher form. It's not a shallow conceit. You know, it's not mm. like the Kardashians pursue beauty. It's it's actually from the heart. And so you see it in every corner, in every meal, in every interaction. You know, people have made their immediate surrounds beautiful. Even if they're by a highway, they'll put a pot of geraniums out there, you know. <clears throat> anyway, but the people that we met opened up to us a different kind of Italy, obviously not a holiday Italy, but a living, a life. Yes. We spent two years and in two years you forge proper friendships with people and also a lot of our contact with what we call real Italians, i.e. not from the international school, 
was through basketball because my two youngest boys play what the Italians call basket. And so we travelled all around the country. We went to tournaments. We went to barbecues and parties. And it was just a brilliant way to be introduced into a foreign culture with what was familiar. Yes. Um, And the little boys led the way. They didn't speak any Italian when we arrived, but now they both speak fluently because they had to learn because if they couldn't say to their teammates, give me the ball, no one was going to give them the ball. (laughs) So it was quite remarkable, the people that we met. And like you said, some of the internationals from the international school as well. It was just fascinating to me to be surrounded by so many cultures and races. Yes. And to see the difference between them because in Australia, I don't know what the climate's like in New Zealand, but people in Australia are very reticent to talk about cultural or racial differences. It's like you've got to pretend everyone's the same. Yes. When we're in Europe, they're very much aware that people are not all the same. Yes. Yeah. You know, try telling a Frenchman who's separated by a German by an imaginary line or a river that they're the same. Yes. Yeah. That's just ludicrous. So it was very enriching to be surrounded by so many cultures and that's how we realised how Australian we were, Jenny, <laughs> you know. You had a very interesting observation about that. With Peter, your husband, was a very keen cyclist and at one stage he did quite a big cycle tour with some other men that he'd made friends with and a couple of them were older than average, you might expect, yes. for cycling. And it really struck you the difference in the attitude between age in Australia and Italy and New Zealand has a very similar attitude to age as what you described in Australia. So I was particularly struck by that as well. You know, it's okay. So for starters, Italy, the Italians themselves call Italy a country of old people. They have the oldest population in Europe and they have the lowest birth rate. So their birth rates are only 0.8, so they're not even replacing themselves. You need 2.2 to replace. Anyway, but consequently they have a very old population. But because they have a different view of ageing and 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 towards their aged, you know, people, the old people are much more a part of your life in Italy than they are in Australia. In Australia... There's, I would say, there's very much age segregation. You know, we put our old people in homes, or we there's kind of out of sight, out of mind. You don't. There's just not the same. Whereas we would always go out with our friends in Italy, and there would be someone's mother there, their father there. If you went to their house, oh, there's the room downstairs where their mother lives, or they're just very much integrated into their lives. If you go into a shop a little shop of which there's a lot in Italy. Hopefully they survive after all the lockdowns. But there'll be a man working in a tiny little sports shop that sells runners or, you know, Mm. basketballs, and there's an old man sitting in the corner. It's his dad, and his dad goes to work with him every afternoon. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so when we went on this cycling trip to, which was with our mate Giovanni, who... um, had become our friend. He started off as my girlfriend Sasha's summer romance when she was. <laughs> in fact, it was a winter romance. She met him when she set up my studio in Bologna. That's anyway, right, yeah. he, yeah, and he was an avid cyclist as well. And in fact, when Sash found him on Tinder, we both had a laugh and we went, 
well, if you don't like him, my husband will like him. (laughs) (laughs) And so he organised a trip to Sicily. And we went just before we came back to Australia when we were in it, we were out of a lockdown. And there were 10 guys and me and we stayed with our friends' friends at a bed and breakfast run by Sicilian Giovanni's parents. And on the trip, two of the men who wrote like everybody else and fit and clear-eyed and beautiful skin and whatever, one of them was nearly 80 and one of them was mid-70s. Yeah. Now, in Australia, I can't even fathom that ever happening because not only was it the cycling every day, but we had dinner with them. We had breakfast with them. We went and had aperitivo up at Taumina, the beautiful town, in a fancy hotel with them. Like we just, they were just part of a social group. Yeah. And I've never really had that experience. In Australia, I know my girlfriend's mums or whatever, but there's just not that integration of young and old together. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really nourishing. In fact, Peter and I said earlier this year when when we'd just come back to Australia, Peter said to me, I miss old people. (laughs) (laughs) How funny. I said, Well, we've luckily we've got some in our family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's lovely. We're taking a short break. We'll be right back. San Francisco, 1870, and Hawaiian sugar merchant Kaleo's life takes a dangerous turn when he rescues a workmate from a random street attack and becomes embroiled in a deadly family conflict. Sarah's been living a double life, but can she trust him enough to tell him the true story of her past and maybe endanger them both? That's the story behind Ancient Deception, the ninth book in my historical mystery series of Gold and Blood. Yes, Jenny Wheeler is a writer as well as a podcaster. If you like charismatic heroes, twisty plots, there's a good chance you'll enjoy Ancient Deception. It's available at all of the usual digital bookstores, Amazon, Kobo, Apple. So try it today and let me know what you think. And tell me, your kids, what do they think of their trip now that they look back on it? Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because by the time we came back, everyone was so keen to come back, That is particularly the children. Peter and I yeah. would have happily probably stayed in Italy. You know, we would have yeah. worn out the welcome mat. The kids were really keen to get back. But now they, it's really, I think, consolidating for them with that bit of time what they had there that was so lovely. Yes. And even my eldest son, who's now 18, has got a group of friends who are really into the Grand Prix. He tried to get them into AFL football, but they were not interested in Australian footy. They just looked at the TV like we were all crazy. <laughs> but he's got into the into Formula One with them and they were going to come out here to go to the Grand Prix at Albert Park because we live near Albert Park in Melbourne. Yeah. And he's planning to go back next year in July to see them. So I'm like now we have, and my girlfriend, um, my daughter's girlfriend, Bea, who has left Bologna, is now at boarding school in England, wants Sunday to come over and see her there and then they go back to Italy together to stay with Bea's parents. So these, we now have these, these tentacles yeah. that have wrapped around their hearts. You yes, know? yes. So even Lewis, who was so resistant, 
whenever he says anything, he's always careful to say to me because I'm like straight away like a mum, yes, well, I told you that would happen. (laughs) And he doesn't want to give me that satisfaction. (laughs) But we all miss aspects of Italy. Yeah. Look, for families who want to try and do something similar, you talk in the book about you feeling you needed a circuit breaker from the things that had happened. And a lot of families after this last couple of years of COVID, I'm sure would feel like they needed a circuit breaker too. If they didn't have the money to go to Europe like that, what other ways? Do you get that question? What What could I do? Well, it's all right for you. You could afford to do that, but I'm stuck here, that kind yes. of thing. Yeah, what, what do you say to them? This has come up a lot, you know, with yeah. in conversation, and you're so right. Now is, I think people have really, like we've been forged in the fire now and we've lost the impurities of our wants and desires. Mm. We have now can really see clearly how we want our lives to be or what's missing from our lives or ways in which we haven't served our own lives as well as we would have liked to. Yes. Or, or we just want to break, you know? Yes. And I would say it it doesn't have to be, like we'd worked towards Italy for um, two years, you know, yeah. as saving and like really focusing on that. And we, you know, live in the same house we've lived in for 16 years and I drive a 12-year-old car, you know. Yeah. So that yeah. was, yeah. we never, we're not house flippers or car people. We'd always wanted to travel. And because for so many years we couldn't when my son was sick, that was the manifestation for us of our just kind of dreams coming true. Yes. After COVID, you're so right, travelling is again the manifestation of so many people's dreams. Yeah. So I think because the actual act of travelling and being away from what's familiar unlocks in you your essential self and divests you of the, you know, the albatross around your neck that is everyday life and responsibility and you know, have I done the shopping and I've got to make lunches and blah, 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 or whatever it is. It doesn't matter where you go. It really doesn't matter where you go. What matters is what you take of yourself on that trip. Yeah. So it's like you know how joyous it is when you come out of lockdowns and you're allowed to drive, you know, 25 kilometres. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) before we then get back into the rut of complaining about the traffic, right? (laughs) There's that sweet spot. But if you can try and keep that essential sense of adventure and be the person like even little things I recognised about myself, like very often if I was at home in Australia in my normal life, I'm not talking to strangers on the street. Yeah. But in Italy, I spoke to strangers on the street. Yeah. So it's just what whatever your... Whatever you can afford, whatever you, whatever time you can take and you can make and you can steal, yeah. time is the greatest gift you can give yourself. Sure, sure. Are you ready to do another book now? Is this? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh have you been sent by my publisher? <laughs> You're a terrible person to even suggest that. <laughs> um, I, I can't. I don't I don't know, you know, because Jenny, I never even thought I would write one book. Yeah. So I can't even think about another book, even though you know how I was saying to you the stories that are in this book and the experiences we had. I wrote about those because they were so vivid for me. When I realized how much I had written, I stopped writing and there's still 
quite a few stories that I didn't get around to writing. Yes. But I don't know that would be something I would do or I now just want to enjoy not writing. I have so much respect for writers. I can't believe what they do, especially fiction writers. that They create these entire worlds, you know. Yeah, yeah. But no, no, no other book on no other book on the cards at this point. Right. Look, that's a great place to just segue into talking about. Do, do you read much? Do you like to read? And would you like to make any recommendations about books or TV shows or even audible books that oh, you've been aware of? Okay. All right. Well, I have always loved reading. Yeah. But while I was writing the book, I did not read very much at all. Yeah. Although when we were in lock, we went into our lockdown in Italy in tw- at the start of 2020. You know, the first, the the first country after China to go into yes. this lockdown. Yes. How amazingly in the region that we were living in, in Italy. But then I read quite a lot, and because we didn't have a lot of books and we couldn't get English books, I would share with my American neighbour Denise who was not herself an avid reader but also had four kids and her two teenage girls were big readers. So I kind of ended up reading an unusual library selection as curated by two American teenage girls living in Italy. (laughs) But I read a fantastic book that I really loved called The Dutch House. Oh, yes, I've heard of that one, yeah. Yeah, like loved it, really loved it. Very transporting. And I've read a few, what else did I read in lockdown? My husband was always reading, you know, books about Italy, historical books about Italy. Yes. I read quite a few books myself, a a book called Midnight in Sicily. What I want to remember the book that I really loved to tell you, but I can't remember the name of it. I read a couple of things. You know that book, I can't remember what it's called, but it was about the Groupie, you know the. And oh it's yeah, got a, the Stevie Nicks one. It's a non. It's a fiction one, but it's about a based on. Yeah, was it based on Stevie Nicks? Yes, I think it was. Yes, and it was a really cute. It was an easy read. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yes. Anyway, my reading's been quite remiss. Now I'm reading Le- Leanne Moriarty's new book. Oh yes, Apples Never Fall, and I'm about four fifths of the way through it, and that's the first book I've read since I finished writing my book, and it's taken me a really long time to read it, and I think it's because now I read every sentence and go, "Wow, someone wrote that." <laughs> It's like not a not a casual thing for me anymore to read a book. So what does 2022 st- hold for you? You've, you've, you've sort of swung back into Australia and already had a job ready to go, didn't you? What are you doing now? Yeah, so I'm doing uh, radio again but on a much lower um, scale, so not a full-time breakfast or drive. I'm doing three afternoons a week with a girlfriend of mine for one hour and it's a show called the 3 p.m pickup and it's designed at people who are doing for, for people who are doing school pickups basically and so that's I'm just loving that so much and I'm now recalibrating myself because now I've finished writing I have time again or I'm, I'm hoping I will have time and just getting back into the um, groove of family life and hoping to get to travel a little bit more and go to some book festivals. Remember them? Yes, yeah. 
Because <laughs> you've been having a dreadful time in Melbourne, actually, until very recently. So I guess the promotion of this book, has that been disturbed or did that happen? It did probably just happen after you came out of lockdown, did it? We came out of lockdown, but people still didn't have procedures in place, yeah. you know, and yeah. then a lot yeah. of there were still a lot of restrictions. So I've been doing most of my publicity um you know, via Zoom or call into radio shows or whatever. Sure. Which has been great, actually. It means that you can get through more in a day when you don't have to yes. physically drive around. But also you do miss I what I can only imagine because I've never lived it before, the experience of walking in and sharing with people, you know, your book and that experience. So it's 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 been really great. And like I said, it's been so breathtakingly well received and I think like you said earlier we're kind of we were all ready for a book like this because it's about traveling and it's about joy really yes sure it is. and it's about someone who was in lockdown with their family and came out loving them you know <laughs> I think my husband's just walked into the room <laughs> hello That's... Peter I'm talking to Jenny in New Zealand on her podcast about oh, hi, Jenny. hi there you? Peter you were a champion on the Italy tour too by the side of the book yeah, well, you know, I did my best. <laughs> In fact, he's doing paperwork now, so we shall not disturb. Okay, don't. Look, um, just one final question, Kate. Now, do you interact with people online about the book? And if so, where? I know you've got such a busy life that you may not be able to do that, but is, how do people um, reach you if they want to? I don't. I Probably on my Instagram. Instagram, yep. Because I'm not on Facebook. Okay. Yep. And I know that my publisher's wanted to set something up. I don't even know what all the, the avenues are for sharing communications with listeners, but I know they want to set something up. But obviously they're in Sydney, I'm in Melbourne. I haven't been able to see them yet and we haven't physically been able to sort something out. So I'll find you on Instagram, so that's good. Yeah, contact me. I'd love I'd love to and I kind of every I've been a bit remiss the last week or so. I do like to reply to the messages. And I love to receive the messages. It's been incredible. That's fantastic. Look, thank you. I can't recommend the book highly enough. It's a real buzz to read it. Oh, thank you, Jenny. I appreciate that. I'll just give you the proper spelling of my name so yes. people can find me, by the way, on Insta or on Twitter. It's just my name. It's at Kate Langbrook, but it's L A N G B R O E K. Great. Yep, the tricky one. Dutch, the tricky Dutch. The tricky Dutch in Australia, eh? Mm, mm. That's wonderful. Thanks so much, Kate. Wonderful. Thank you, Jenny. Pleasure. So that's it for today. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Next week, we have as our guest, Jane Ann Krentz, a master of historical, romantic and paranormal mysteries with 35 million copies of her books sold worldwide. She's a perfect author to feature in the month of romance, St. Valentine's Month. Jane will be talking about the latest books in her three current series, The Fog Lake Contemporary Paranormals, Burning Cove Historicals and The Futuristic 
Gold Boss series. Don't forget, you can get exclusive bonus content with extra information about the podcast, including hearing Kate's answers in the five quickfire questions by becoming a binge reading on Patreon supporter. For as little as a cup of coffee a month, you'll get additional material, the quickfire questions, as well as a behind the scenes feature, which gives you info on the books and authors who are coming up so you can get ahead of the game and read them before you actually hear them talk. Check it out today on patreon.com forward slash the joys of binge reading. I'm looking forward to sharing Jane Ann's story with you next week. So join us again, won't you? In the meantime, thanks for listening and happy reading. Happy reading.